Uh, hey, it's uh, Sapa City Church's first Advent, you guys. Yeah, come on. It's very exciting. And today we're going to join um, brothers and sisters, Jesus communities all around the world. There's like well over a billion people all around the world today that are turning to a particular prayer that comes from the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, this is uh, a prayer with angst and intensity in it. And it sort of becomes the starting point for this Advent season for us. So let me just show you what this is. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verse 1. Speaking to God, the prophet cries out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Now let's just leave that up there for a minute. I'll give you a little bit of background on the experience that this comes out of. Uh, scholars are a little divided on the context of this passage. There's two possibilities. This either comes from Israel's experience in exile. So they've um, had a round of humiliations as a nation, and they've been forced to confront their own failings again and again, and eventually that's led them to a point where they've been conquered by another country, and that country hasn't just been content to conquer them, to rule over them, but they drag the people away from their land, which is to drag them away from identity and history and roots and take them to a place they do not want to be, a place with a completely foreign culture, a place where they can't know God or themselves in the way that they always have as a people. They get dragged away there, <clears throat> and they're the victims of a really incredible injustice. And that's one of the contexts that might shape this prayer here. And they say, God, that you would rend the heavens. And rend's kind of a funny word that we don't use very much these days. God, that you would tear the heavens, that you would rip apart the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. This maybe comes from um, the experience of people who are not where they want to be and who are on the receiving end of the world's worst Another possibility for this is that it comes from after their return from exile, which is an interesting setting for this kind of prayer, which suggests that uh, not only are they suffering exile, but then they finally get liberated when the Persian Empire does its work there with Babylon and everything, and they get, they get liberated, they get to come back to their homeland, and you would think, great, we're finally back to where we want to be, we get to be who we want to be, but the problem is you get home and your homeland is decimated, it's destroyed. So even though you're home, even though you're free, you still have a long way to go. This is either a prayer for people who are not where they want to be or people who find themselves back in the place where they thought things would be okay and they're not. This is the prayer of Israel and it's the starting point for the Advent reflection that churches all around the world return to today. Maybe you relate to this. Maybe there's something about where you are and it's not where you want to be. Or maybe there's something about the work that's in front of you and it's just too much. Maybe there's something about the injustice that you've seen in the world or the personal struggles that you're walking through. But if God is anything that we would say God is, if God is goodness and power and life and light, then you look at your circumstance and you'd say, it's as if there's like a wall between us and what God is or who God is. Like there's something that prevents that goodness from breaking in. There's something that prevents that light from breaking into our darkness. So whether it's a wall between us and God or a wall between us and where we want to be and who we want to be, it's like, would you please just like rip that thing apart? Like we've had enough of this. We've had enough of this time where we're, we're wanting things to be different from the way they are. God, would you rip the heavens open and come down? And in fact, they sort of anticipate this might be an intense experience, that the mountains would tremble before you. I want, to, I want to open up this prayer a little bit uh, through a story of a person and the insight that he brings from his experience 
and through uh, a question that rises up out of the spirituality of the scriptures. First, the story. It's the story of this man, Admiral Jim Stockdale. Uh, Stockdale is uh, in the military, and he's flying A-4 Skyhawks. I've never heard of that plane. (laughs) A-4 Skyhawks uh, during the Vietnam War. And in 1965, he's flying over North Vietnam where his plane sustains a hit that won't be able to keep the plane going. So he ejects out of the airplane and he parachutes into a small village there in North Vietnam where he's immediately beaten and taken captive. And Admiral Stockdale spends the next seven and a half years at the POW encampment that they call the Hanoi Hilton. And it is brutal. Um, They treat the prisoners with cruelty. But then uh, him being uh, an officer, sort of a higher-ranking person there, he's in a special target for their cruelty. But they also want to use him to tell a lie because they want to parade around one of their prisoners and show how well they're treating them, which is a lie. And so to prevent his life from being used as a lie in this injustice, as he's about to be dragged out and paraded in front of people to show how well they treat the prisoners, he takes a razor blade and cuts his scalp open so they can't use him as propaganda for their lie. And then when they put a hat on his head, he beats his face with a stool so it's bruised, so he can't be used for a lie. It's just a little slice of life for seven and a half years at the Hanoi Hilton for Admiral Stockdale. Well, eventually he makes it out, and years later, a guy named Jim Collins is writing a book called Good to Great, where he's looking at how businesses endure and have great impact in the world. And he wants to understand, like, like what's at the core of the certain kind of greatness that he's trying to tap into. So he comes to interview Admiral Stockdale, and the first thing he says is, like, how did you make it through? And this is what he says. I never lost faith in the end of the story, he said when I asked him. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. Well, then uh, Collins goes on and asks, who didn't make it? Like, who just couldn't endure that? And his answer might surprise you. Here's what he says. The optimists, the optimists didn't make it. So they, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. From that experience, Admiral Stockdale draws this insight. He says, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Now that idea right there, never, conf- uh, never confuse faith, which you cannot lose, with the discipline to confront your current reality, that becomes what uh, Jim Collins coins the Stockdale paradox. And paradox is a word for when you put two things side by side, and it's not very clear how they fit together, but there's something in the paradox. There's something in setting them side by side that we're supposed to work with, that we're supposed to explore. And I think uh, what I'm saying is that Advent is a season for this particular paradox. Uh, I've seen in my own life and I've seen in the lives of others how when, when you're not willing to dance with the paradox, when you keep trying to resolve the paradox, when you keep trying to solve the puzzle, uh, when in your own life like you, you, you try to artificially resolve tensions that you can't actually resolve, that kind of maneuver, it'll lead to really bad stuff, you guys. We'll try to distract ourselves from the tension that we're feeling, or we'll try to medicate ourselves, we'll uh, try to avoid the thing that is painful and difficult, or we'll get addicted by the escapes that we try to find. 
There's a lot of destruction that comes from trying to just resolve a paradox that's not asking us to resolve it. It's asking us to enter into it, to work with it, to press into it a bit. And I'm saying that um, Advent is a season for a paradox like that. God, you are what is good, you are light, you are love, that we believe that sort of energizing the universe is a God who wants flourishing for every human being. Uh, the scriptures say that all of this is held together by the presence of Christ, like all of this is held together, and yet it doesn't always appear to be held together very well. And we see the lines along which it breaks again and again and again. That's a paradox that we're invited to enter into this Advent season. Uh, maybe you've felt that. Maybe you've uh, had a little tension in your life and you're not sure like, how to interact with it. So maybe you want to resolve it. Maybe you want to hear preachers that just tell you everything's going to be fine. So don't even engage it. Don't even think about it. Maybe like, you've heard some really bad, what we call like, eschatology, which is like the end. And it basically tells you, just sit back and relax and don't worry about all this mess because, because it's not our problem anymore. Because God's just going to sort of throw this whole thing away and evacuate us. Maybe you've gotten that sort of bad theology, bad resolution to the paradox. Or maybe it's just like, easier to not pay attention to, to the aching and the groan but I want to say, like, we might actually become more human. We might actually grow in the potential of Advent if we press into the paradox. And there's a question that Scripture raises again and again. And I think this question has the power to help us dance with the paradox. The question shows up uh, in the Psalms again and again. See if, see if you hear the sort of common thread here. This is in Psalm chapter 6 where this person praying and writing says, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Or Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Or in Psalm 94, and here this sort of takes a wider view. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? The question I want to propose is how long? I want to propose this is a question that isn't meant to be answered rationally for us today, but it's a question that's meant to stretch our souls into the paradox of Advent. And I bet you've asked how long sometime in your life. I can think of a few uh, times in my life where how long, like how long, was the thing that kept rising up inside me. Uh, like from my senior year of high school until about five years later when depression just like crippled my life. And I did all the things I was supposed to do. I went to all the right doctors. I prayed all the right prayers. I um, took all the steps that the therapists were telling me to take. I did my journaling like I was supposed to. I tried to catch the mental cycles that were taking me in a downward spiral. I did like all of the right stuff, but it just kept persisting and it was painful. And the question that came up inside me again and again was like, how long? How long? Uh, for me, it was, it was a certain kind of suffering from a mental health problem. I think of a friend of mine, a love to death, and the conversation we have often is when he's saying of his life, how long am I going to keep, like, messing up? Like, how long is my own immaturity going to keep costing me and the people I love, uh, keep sort of causing problems for this whole situation I'm trying to manage? How long am I going to keep waking up regretting what I did yesterday? How long am I going to keep being confronted that I'm, I don't have the character that I wish I had? Maybe you've had that kind of how long in your life. 
Or maybe it's not uh, for your life. Maybe it's for someone that you love. Maybe you've watched someone that you love suffer. Maybe it's through their own uh, difficulties or struggles. Uh, I can tell that story with painful detail of someone I love who spent many years um, in addiction. And you try to help and you try to be present with them and you say, how long? Like, how long do I have to keep my phone on at night in case they call at four in the morning and they need a place to crash so they come down from their high? Like, how long? How long do I have to be afraid that I'll get another call that they're in jail or that they're, that they're in a, a dangerous place or that their life is, in, is in, under threat? Like, how long? Maybe you've been there. Or maybe it's uh, less on a personal level. Maybe it's like this world that we're living in right now. Uh, I suspect that, um, like me, like a, as a white guy, I feel like I've been learning anew how my brothers and sisters of color have been saying, how long? For a very long time. Like, how long are we going to live in a world that continues to uh, subtly and sometimes not so subtly endorse uh, inequality and racism? I suspect uh, the women in our world, the women in this room, are glad that some of us men are finally waking up to discover that many of them have been saying, how long will we live in a world where men can use their power to abuse our bodies? Maybe it's just the headlines every day, like you open up CNN or Fox News or Twitter or Facebook, and you're just like, how long? How long is, is this the, the situation that we will be in? How long is this the world that we're going to live in? How long? And I think this question has power because uh, it names the discontent. It confronts the brutal circumstances that we're, we're facing, right? That's part of Stockdale's paradox. Confront the brutal thing that you are aching to see resolved. But it also presumes something, doesn't it? It presumes that somehow, at some time, things will get better. It presumes this story is actually going somewhere. It presumes like Dr. King, like there is a moral arc that is actually pointing toward justice, even if it takes forever and if it moves in increments that are just painfully slow for us. How long it confronts the reality, but it presumes the story is actually leading toward a better reality, which is why I think this is the right question for Advent. Now, if you've ever watched somebody else who's asking how long, you might have seen in them what they didn't see in themselves. I think of uh, some of my friends who have had a how long just rising up from their soul for quite a long time. And what they can't always see, but what I can see in them, is that something good and powerful is actually happening in that question. Something is slowly growing or changing as they ask that question. Some seeds are being planted as they ask that question. Some preparation is happening within them as they ask that question. And even as they long for the story to move to a better place, they're becoming the kind of person whose life is moving the world toward that better place, and they may not even know it. That There are certain kinds of waiting that uh, ennoble us, that grow us up, and they're not comfortable or easy, and it can be hard to see, but there's certain kinds of groaning and saying, how long, that actually sort of sweep us up in the very same story that's going somewhere good. Paul, uh, in the New Testament, who writes a letter to the Romans, he says it like this. He says, all around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world, watch this, are simply birth pangs. It's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. 
These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting doesn't diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows our pregnant condition, and he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. But like, even as we groan with the Spirit, like how long? Even as we cry out, somehow something is being worked into the very good that we long for in the world when we cry out and we say, how long? Now, um, there are a few ways that that how long can get woven into our lives, that we can live in the tension and refuse the false resolution, that we can grow up and get stretched by it. Uh, Praying would be one of them. And I know prayer is not a word that works for everyone. It's a maybe a package of ideas or experiences that never had meaning for you or they don't today, and I understand that, but praying might be a way that that how long gets embedded in your life, and it's quite literally to not stop praying for the thing that you long for. And it might have been weeks or months or years. And if you're like me, you may have given up and then restarted and given up and restarted and given up and restarted many, many times, but maybe it's time to like get back on the horse and press into those more uncomfortable prayers of how long. Maybe it's time to do some creating. And this may be sort of an unexpected way of expressing the how long. We have the how long in the Psalms, not just because the Israelites ached and groaned and prayed that way. We have the how long in the Psalms because at some point creative people came along and made poetry out of that groaning, out of that aching. They made songs out of that experience. Maybe some kind of creating, something that makes tangible that longing would be a good move for you right now. There's all kinds of ways this could go. It could be as simple as writing and finding some uh, elegant expression of the longing for you. Maybe a drawing, maybe a picture of the future that you are aching for. And maybe uh, something a little more dramatic, like a story that I heard recently that I just loved. A guy named Shane Claiborne was working um, in a neighborhood where there were just rampant gun deaths. And he gathered especially the mothers of children who had died from gun violence. And they gathered some of the guns that had been used in gun violence. And they brought in a metalsmith. And in a very sort of 2016, 2017 iteration of this ancient scriptural image, they take the guns and they quite literally hammer them into plowshares as an act of like public sculpture, which borrows from an Old Testament idea that swords will be hammered into plowshares because there's a day when violence will not have the final word and we won't need these weapons. And so they, they do that in real time and let the mothers who've lost their children take the first swings at the guns, turning them into plowshares. I, I can just imagine as they're doing that, a how long is not just in their heart, but it's, it's being sort of built out of this sculpture. Maybe some creating would be a way for you to take the how long and put it into the world. Another way that we can speak the how long into the world uh, is through generosity or through giving. So I want to take a minute and talk about our first ever Christmas offering. Um, hang with me through this. And this isn't something that we're doing just because it's uh, you know, the end of the year and you might need the tax write-off. 
although it is, and you might. Uh, we're doing this because it's actually deeply aligned with, with the aching and the longing and the hoping and the belief that we are being drawn into a story that's going somewhere. So on the card, I want to take you to the bottom part that says holiday giving. I just want to talk you through like, why we're doing a Christmas offering and what your money will go to and a few movements here. And while I do this, uh, toward the end of talking about the offering, I want to show you a video, but we don't have a very elegant way to get it on the screen. So things are going to happen on the screen. Just ignore them. Just lock it in here. Be adults. You know, like have a little focus, and then we'll show you that. Um, we call ourselves a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. And so this year, as we give for the Christmas offering, we just want to um, resource those uh, sort of locations of our identity. Uh, this community, Stoppin' City Church, because uh, what we are building here is part of our how long. It's part of us sort of actively embodying the belief that the story is going somewhere and it needs to go somewhere, right? So a couple of ways that we're going to uh, take some of those resources and help here. Uh, very important is coffee. Amen? Uh, we need a second brewer badly, which is why if you walk in like a little late at the 11 or if you come on a Tuesday, you might wonder like why there's no coffee in the machines. Because you guys drink a, can I say this? I, you, you guys drink a crap load of coffee. And so, uh, so we'd like to buy another brewer to help with that. Also uh, for children, a couple of notes there. If you are a mom or a dad here, South and City Church, and uh, maybe you've got a little one in the nursery, and maybe little Johnny's having a rough day in the nursery, like just, just not having it, you know. So one of our wonderful nursery volunteers comes and taps you politely on the shoulder and suggests this is your problem now, right? <laughs> and so then you go get little baby Johnny, but the problem is baby Johnny's not any happier in your arms, but we've made it your problem now. And here's what happens. You don't know where to go, right? There's nowhere to go. Like we have one big room with a curtain that does nothing for that, right? <laughs> So we'd like to take that northwest lobby over there and just make that sort of on the other side of those glass doors. We'd like to make that a more hospitable place for that kind of a situation, and we'll use some of the funds to do that. And we'll also add some other equipment to our children's ministry. That's the community, like this community, part of the Christmas offering. Uh, the second part of it is city, for the city of South Bend. And we've partnered with Marquette Primary Montessori Academy, which is a South Bend public school. Uh, big fans of the Montessori experience and how it helps those kids flourish. But part of the Montessori experience is it, it requires uh, supplies and, and funds to sort of round out the fullness of that experience that many of those kids don't have and those families that don't have. So it either means that they don't get to have the fullness of the Montessori experience or sometimes teachers out of their exorbitant salaries fund some of these things themselves. That was a joke. Uh, the part about the salaries is not a joke that sometimes teachers just come up with their own money to help with that. And so, uh, so we would like to take care of what's called um, practical life. Did I get that right, Ryan? practical life fees, uh, for all the sort of shortages for the students this year at Montessori Academy. Uh, note, by the way, we set the goal at 25000 uh, our board did, just sort of based on a starting point for a goal. And then after we set that goal, we found out that um, all of the fees that if you add them up, they add up to roughly a third of that, $8,000. And so if we hit this goal, we ought to be able to wipe out every remaining dollar that's keeping those students from having that experience. And then I want to talk about world for a little bit. First of all, um, uh, about world vision. So uh, this how long thing, one of the reasons this is important, you guys, like we have to grow and mature and become the kind of people who can hold this tension. One of the reasons it's important is because things break in the world and for a moment we sit with them and then we move on, right? So like the Syrian refugee crisis is being called the greatest humanitarian crisis in the world since World War II. And guys, like it was in our headlines for a minute 
right? And we all, we all sort of broke for it for a moment, but we've kind of moved on, right? Because the news has moved on and there are other sexier headlines and other things happening around the world, but the refugees have not moved on. It continues to be the most difficult and um, uh, suffering-laden humanitarian crisis in the world, and we'd like to help World Vision with that. Last year, I had the chance to go to Lebanon with World Vision, and we spent about a week in the Bekaa Valley, which is right next to Syria, just on the other side of the mountains there. And we spent most of our time uh, in the encampments where the refugees are, and we spent time learning about the work that World Vision does. And while I was there, we also had a filmmaker with us that captured some of what we saw while I was there, and some words from Rich Stearns, the head of World Vision US. And I'm really grateful to be able to not just tell you, but to show you what I saw, because I think you're gonna watch this and you're gonna say, how long? And I'm gonna say amen, but let's, like, let's give some money to World Vision, right? So let's uh, get a little glimpse of what's happening there. So we think that we can channel some of that how long that you feel um, when you see that. We think we can channel some of that um, through our giving and turn that prayer into uh, an act in the world, right? Uh, so that's part of world. The other part um, might surprise you a little bit, but it's the podcast. So you may not know, but we have a podcast at Southland City Church. And um, it's one of the ways that what happens here is able to serve people in other places, actually. So you may not know this, but uh, since we started the podcast, it's been downloaded more than 24,000 times. And most of those downloads have not come from Indiana and Michigan, which is about as granular as we can get the analytics. They've come from many other states in the U.S., but they've also come from all around the world, England, the Philippines, the Netherlands. We just got a really um, beautiful email from somebody in the U.K. last week who is uh, grateful that uh, what happens here uh, finds him there, and he can sort of track with our community through that. So I uh, would also like to resource the podcast a little more. We have one sad, pathetic little baby computer over there that does everything, which means that anything, like, on a regular basis, we get the spinning wheel of death. You know what that is on a Mac? 
Yeah, which means we lose the podcast recording, which is it's a good, reason, good thing that we have three chances to capture it. Um, but we'd like to uh, get another computer for over there and a couple other things that will just resource uh, that and kind of help us give this to the world, right? Uh, if, if we hit the goal, by the way, not only will we be able to wipe out all those Montessori fees, but we'll, we'll be able to send, uh, send thousands of dollars to World Vision to help them in the most immediate needs that they have there. So that's the Christmas offering, and it's not just a pitch. It's like deeply connected to what it means to pray the how long yeah, this Advent season. Uh, I wanted, we didn't do our offering yet because I, I didn't want to do the offering and then talk through this later. So if you'd like to make an offering today, we'll pass the baskets around. Uh, anything that you want to give to Christmas offering this month, if you're going to write a check, just write Christmas on the memo line. Or you can go online and you can go to uh, our regular giving and you've got the general fund or you've got the Christmas fund. Just select the Christmas fund and that'll go there. If you are in the, in the habit of giving regularly uh, without the Christmas fund, please don't take those funds and pay for Christmas because then we'll, we'll not have heat here and that won't be good or we'll like get kicked out of our lease. So like we'd like to um, keep paying the bills but also stretch ourselves a bit in the season for Christmas. Uh, there's no pressure on this though, guys. I don't, we're never going to be the church that like guilts you into that kind of thing. But for a number of us, I think that this is a, an appropriate way to take the aching prayer of how long and translate it into some kind of act. Now one more move I want to make in the scriptures. Uh, the Israelite people, they know this prayer, right? How, like, would you, would you rend the heavens? Would you tear down the wall that stands between us and you, God? Would you tear down the wall that stands between us and where we want to be? Would you tear down the wall between what the world is and what the world ought to be? This is a normal prayer for them. It comes from the prophets, but it would have been on their lips through their history. And it's important to bear that in mind uh, because of what happens in the Gospel of Mark. So the Gospel of Mark is um, the earliest written gospel. It's the earliest Jesus story that we have from the church that tells us about the people's experience of Jesus. And I, you might hear um, what's written in Mark a little differently now. Listen closely and pay attention to this. This is Mark chapter 1. Mark doesn't even bother with the Christmas story. It just gets right to the adult Jesus, basically. And Mark chapter 1, um, at that time, this is adult Jesus, came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Listen to this. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. He saw the heavens being rent open and the Spirit who is God coming down. And then in Mark 15, at the very end of Mark's telling of the story of Jesus, with a loud cry, this is Jesus on the cross, Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And we know from an ancient Jewish historian that that curtain had stars embroidered on it. And that every worshiper who walked into that temple place looked up and knew that that was a symbol of heaven and that deep sort of existential ache that we feel that what is on the other side of that would come crashing into this world and heal us and make us whole. So we want to be people who don't artificially resolve the tension. We want to be people who let the paradox grow us and stretch us. And today, um, our next move then is, is to pray together for a moment and to do so in silence. And there's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of noise. And we want to invite a bit of, of sacred silence into our gathering. You know, often uh, you go to a, like a sporting event or some other big thing with lots of people, and a moment of silence will be had to, to remember what is broken in the world in some specific way, right? 
And so a moment of silence feels appropriate. And we're going to put this question back on the screen. How long? And I just wonder, like, for you today, is there some way that your soul, ha- maybe, maybe your soul has been saying, how long? But you've tuned it out. You know, it's an uncomfortable thing to hear within you, so you've tried to look away or hear something else, right? Or maybe today for the first time, there's something about your life, your marriage, your family, your neighborhood, our city, our world. Maybe there's something there that today will grab your, your soul and you'll see it and, and you'll hear that how long rising up inside you. And it may not be a comfortable thing, but it's a good thing. And it'll grow us up and stretch us and make us more ready for Christ who comes. So we'll sit in the silence and I would just encourage you, um, where do you feel the how long in your life or in this world? We'll meditate on that for a few moments and then Dan will lead us into what's next. So may we learn to dance in the paradox and may your soul be expanded by the aching prayer of how long that you may be opened up and ready to receive the Christ. Grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you guys.